0: good morning again to everyone to those of you who may have uh, just logged on and to all those who have called on zoom it's wonderful to see your faces this morning Uh, It's a little change from our normal sunday for all those who are joining our live stream on youtube or facebook we welcome you here for our monthly communion service if you're in los angeles even though it feels now like it happened a while ago congratulations on the dodger win Uh, for any who might be joining us online from tampa bay my condolences Uh, For those of us joining from within the United States, you know, as well as all of us, that we are in a very heated election season. In just two days is election day. And although many of us have already cast our ballots, there's still some that are uh, waiting to be um, part of this voting process. And even though the results of the election may not be ready for us on Tuesday, we might be feeling the rising tension of this climactic season. There's a lot of outrage and sadness and fear that's building. And it all comes down to what happens this coming Tuesday. Of course, there is no possible way to know the future or the outcome of what's going to happen. We don't know what will happen for sure. But uh, if you think about the tiny bit of vandalism and the things that were set on fire when the Dodgers won last week and... That's generally considered to be a good event here in LA. What will it be like when half the country considers the election outcome a really bad thing? The tension that we feel comes from the unknown, doesn't it? We, we don't know who's gonna win. We don't know if there's going to be civil unrest. We don't know what our leaders are going to do or say that we might just consider plain nuts. We have no idea and that makes us nervous. Our short, sermon mini-series around the current political climate is called When Darkness Reigns, and I acknowledge that's a little bit of a Halloween-y title, or Halloween-ish title, uh, but that part's just coincidental. It's actually taken from Luke chapter 22, the story of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to get arrested and the events of the Passion narrative begin. And in a very similar atmosphere, the story has all this rising tension and anger and fear just like what we might be feeling today. Even Jesus himself is feeling this, and it appears that even he does not know exactly how things are gonna turn out. In what Jesus describes as an hour when darkness reigns, in this moment, we see a contrast of how the disciples react and how Jesus does. So I think this story is helpful to us. It's helpful in our current situation as we watch and we wait to see what happens after the election. And as we are confronted with the the temptation to react or the call to live our lives as Christ did. Last week, we talked about the temptation of the disciples to sleep, to avoid and escape the tension through their little nap in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus called them to get up, to stand in the middle of the darkness and pray. But this week, I want to talk about Judas. In Luke chapter 22, starting from verses 1, through six it says Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teacher of the laws, teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they are afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, and agreed to give him money. He consented, And watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now Judas is an interesting character in the Gospels. He's known for being the betrayer, the son of perdition. He was influenced by Satan himself as we saw in the passage uh, we just read. But Judas was also a disciple, a friend to Jesus, a follower of Christ. So, of course, a figure like this is shrouded many times in more myth than history. Some have suggested that his name Iscariot identifies him with the Sicarii, a Jewish assassin group that got its name from the types of small knives they carried in their pockets. One of the more popular and believable speculations about Judas is that he was a zealot, a passionate revolutionary that wanted to revolt against the Roman Empire. So here's Judas, a first-century activist. He's outraged with the injustice of the Roman government and the way they're treating his people. And he meets this radical rabbi from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' teaching is revolutionary to him. He's got this tremendous anointing from God, and he's even able to perform some pretty amazing miracles of healing and delivering people from their demons. And so Judas invests his life and time into Jesus, following him and learning from him, hoping that if Jesus truly is the Messiah, he will provoke an uprising against the empire and usher in a new era of peace and justice. Jesus could actually bring the type of systemic change that the country needs. He could actually change the culture. So that people don't have to live under this oppressive type of Roman rule. But when Jesus enters Jerusalem and it becomes obvious to Judas that things aren't going to go the way that Judas thought, well, he has some different feelings. You see, Jesus, he figures out, is not going to stage a coup. He's not going to raise up a rebellion. He's not going to overthrow the government. And so Judas gets mad and loses faith In who Jesus is, he gets so upset that he takes matters into his own hands. If Jesus was not going to provoke the rebellion, the revolution, then maybe Judas could. Maybe if he could get Jesus arrested, Jesus would see that a political change in Israel was needed, and then he would lead a revolt. Or maybe if Jesus was arrested, the rest of the disciples would finally stand up and make their voice heard. Maybe then they would start a revolution for Jesus. Either way for Judas, this was the tipping point, where he felt like he was the one to take action. He had trusted Jesus, but this Messiah had let him down. And so the Passover comes, and Jesus and the disciples head out to the Garden of Gethsemane after dinner, and Judas is not with them. But when Judas returns to the group as they sit in Gethsemane that night, He comes with a crowd of people from the temple. They're carrying weapons and sent from the chief priests and elders and Judas is leading them. Matthew's gospel tells us that Judas had arranged a signal with them, a kiss, to identify which man was Jesus of Nazareth. In Luke 22, starting at verse 47, says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, Was leading them he approached Jesus to kiss him but Jesus asked him Judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss a kiss a kiss is a gesture of love of closeness you don't kiss just anyone off the street or at least you shouldn't especially nowadays in this pandemic You see, you reserve kisses for people you love, for the people that you trust. That's what makes this such a decisive act of betrayal. Judas uses a symbol of trust to betray. But this symbol is empty. The kiss is empty. There is no faith in it. There is no hope in it. There is no love in it. Judas stops trusting in God's ultimate plan and instead puts more faith in his own. In these tense moments of history right now, that's our temptation too, isn't it? If God doesn't seem present in the situation, in our current events, in the actual things that happen in this world, can we continue to trust him? This next week may very well be a time when everything that is said and done, every action and every word, especially by our leadership and our government, it might be triggering to us. The suspense, the tension, the fear that everyone is feeling might actually intensify dramatically in the coming days. There are likely going to be some things that make you maybe a little scared or anxious or outraged and the temptation is to stop trusting that god is with us because it doesn't look like he's doing enough will god actually stop nationalist militia groups from bringing weapons to polling places will god stop the rioter from throwing a brick through the store window will god stop our politicians from saying something incendiary Will God stop Trump supporters and Biden supporters from clashing in our city streets? Maybe not. I mean, I suppose he could. He's God. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that God will actually intervene in the actual situation. Judas. Judas wanted Jesus to intervene. And when he did not at least in the way that Judas wanted, Judas lost faith. The real tragedy is that because Judas loses faith, he never gets to see that God actually was doing something. Feeling intense guilt for what he had done, Judas kills himself the day after Jesus is arrested, and he never gets to see that God did have a plan. That Jesus' suffering and death on the cross were not signs of defeat or inaction? No, the cross was the revolution. But instead of Jesus simply revolting against Rome, God was waging war on everything in the world, everything in the world that is unjust and inhumane and destructive. He was taking on every power and principality of this dark world and every sin of humanity, from our systems of government to the ones In our hearts. And on the cross, Jesus wins. Judas was never able to understand exactly what God was doing. He couldn't see that even though his circumstances weren't changing immediately, God was actually present and doing something in Christ, right in front of him. In times like this, when darkness reigns, in our country and in our lives, it's tempting to stop trusting that God is with us and doing something. But our call, our call is to have faith, to remember and believe that God is with us and at work. He may not offer us a way to escape the coming situation. He may not intervene in a way that stops whatever mayhem might come our way. But through the peace of his presence, Jesus might give us a way through all of it. Now enjoy the second Judas monologue.
1: You don't understand. You look at me with your leering eyes, and you think you know this thing you despise, me. You don't know what I've studied or my family line. You don't know whose knee I've sat at or where I spent my time. You think you know the difference between the raver and the savior? Do you? I've looked for the good in him for years. I tried to undermine my doubts, my fears, but they have only been refined by each fire. And I tire of a double life, living with the strife of pretending to agree. Don't you see? Everything I hold holy, he's defiled. The Sabbath, the law, he's reviled. But he's not content to relent here. No, he doesn't repent. What is next? What sacred thing is spared? Don't you care? No you don't. You look at me and you see a thief, so you are blind in your own trust and belief, and you don't understand. All you see is the magic miracle man, the Messiah. I tell you, he has no plan. Or could you explain why this would-be king serves as a slave, raving madman or knave, content to behave in a way that cracks the foundations of all relations. He should be king, this prophet of power, but he's content to cower with a basin and towel. I tell you, he betrayed me. All hope was forsaken the moment I'd taken the cup and the bread. I was filled with such dread of the unholy curse I've consumed. I am doomed. I must purge my lips. I must make things right. You don't understand.
0: You don't don't understand.